The practice um, started uh, dramatically for me um, when I was um, 25, n not long ago. <laughs> uh, one day I went to the doctor's office and uh, the doctor said, um, the, you know, uh, we have bad news. So there is a, there is a, a, a you're HIV positive, and uh, at that time when when the doctor said that, uh, it really didn't look good because there was no medication that was uh, working. So it meant you know, you know it, it's going to be painful, ugly, and you're going to die, and. Um, and uh, yeah, there was a, there was definitely a big shock. I was sh uh, shaken to the core. That's kind of a euphemism, we could say. Let's put it uh, lightly. Um, and uh, and uh, I, I think there was that, that moment in the doctor's office. Not that I knew what this was, but. Um, there was a kind of an insight, you know. There was a, there was a kind of a breaking the um, false views that had been uh, at play, you know. So I had a kind of an assumption, perception, sense, impression, uh, belief that uh, it was unconscious, maybe that I was eternal, you know. I I was just that was like like a shock to learn that there would be death, you know. Uh, it was extremely confusing, but the, you so the, I thought I was uh, eternal. I thought also that I was eternally youth, youthful. And I had seen uh, people um, dying of AIDS, um, so people I knew, uh, I could say friends of mine, and... Uh, and uh, the kind of the aging process, in a way, that's a way to describe it, was very, very accelerated, you know. Uh, and so, what I heard from the doctor is, is was, uh, you know, you're not eternal. You're not, youth is not you. It's something that was happening. Health is also something that was happening. It was not you or yours. And so there was a lot of things that were being shaken to the core, a lot of kind of uh, worldviews or conception of self that were uh, being uh, shaken. And so there was a lot of distress, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of shame, a lot of uh, uh, kind of uh, also maybe... Uh, anger, <coughs> it's hard to, you know, who to blame exactly. Um, so there was all these very afflictive emotions and they were coming together, you know, and it seemed uh, quite relentless. Uh, and um, 
not knowing what to do w with this, where to turn to, um, I actually talked to uh, one my first Dharma teacher, we'll say, was a drama teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was using the form of drama, I would say this, to, um, to, to as a kind of a, a way to help his students uh, question a lot of things, you know. And, and I could sense this in him, so I went to see him and, uh, you know, confided. Is that the way to say it? Mm -hmm. Confided. And, uh, and he said, Pascal, what you're going through is ex e extremely difficult. Your, f your mind is not your friend right now. So what you need to do is to be very much embodied. Stay close to the senses. So when you walk, know that you're walking. Do not hang out in your mind. You don't have the resources right now to be in your mind. So be in your body. Feel your steps. Be aware of colors as you walk. See colors. Notice. Like, uh, find kind of ground in the uh, sensory awareness. And as a, a you know, dancer, actor, uh, where the intelligence was already, uh, I think, very much, uh, it to me was a clear indication that I could actually apply. And I started doing this uh, right away because there was nothing else that I, uh, I, I, that I knew I could uh, do. And uh, I'm extremely thankful to this uh, teacher uh, who gave me this, uh, these, these tools, which ah, we happen to be practicing here uh, this week. Huh? Um, so later, a few months later, I found myself in a, in a meditation retreat like this one, not knowing anything about the philosophy, the practice of meditation, n nothing. And... wanting to find s solutions, you know, ways to be with this. And I remember the kind of the first instructions that we're giving on the first evening of the, that retreat, um, you know, was, um, it's the way I heard it was, you want to find a way out you, of your suffering, misery, confusion, uh, pay attention to your nose. Which was really surprising, you know, like how, I mean, it was in line with what my other teacher, uh, but this was drama, and this was supposed to be Buddhism, you know, <laughs> and, you know, philosophy, age, you know, ancient philosophy, and, and then they say, if you put your attention somewhere, it should be on the tip of your nose. And that was, uh, and I was, I, I, I was willing to do, I was willing to do anything, basically, you know, it was so painful uh, that I did put my attention on the tip of my nose. And, um, yeah, it appeared really strange to me because if you gave me a little time sitting on a cushion like we have here, 20, 30, 45 minutes, what I w to solve my problems in life, I would think I have to think about them. You know, I have to think about me and me and what I'll become. And here the indication was Bring your attention here. Uh, 
And by doing this, what I found was that um, uh, having a something to put the attention on, I could, uh, what's the, the word I'm looking for, um, substitute uh, obsession, uh, compulsion, uh, you know, all the ways that we're caught, the entranced and the occupation being on occupied, I could substitute this by something that was tangible, like the, the things that were mentioned here since the beginning of the retreat, you know, the stepping, the coolness of the air, the tastes that appear and disappear, the standing, the sitting, the breathing. And by doing this, there was a way that the mind uh, gathered instead of being scattered and uh, And uh, and and then there was the stabilization, I would say, of heart and mind, of attention. And so there, I was finding myself at some point with a mind that was much more stable, and then could let out, or let in rather, let in some of the thoughts. But then they were received with much more quality mind. Not a reactive mind, a fearful mind, but a mind that had stability to it, uh, that had calm accompanying it. Yeah. And then uh, something was possible in that field. And so... Um, Many years after, I ran into um, a teaching that says, um, names the two cause, causes, cause, the two cause of um, the arising of wisdom. Do you know the two cause of the arising of wisdom? Attention, presence, I use these synonymously here. Attention be the cause of uh, wisdom, the arising of wisdom, and uh, the voice of another. The voice of another. And uh, when I read this teaching, a few years after c- starting practicing, it so resonated as true. Like, oh yeah, my teachers have instructed me, and this is how wisdom was gained, you know. And they instructed me to pay attention. And this is how wisdom was gained. So the two causes of wisdom, uh, the voice of another, and uh, one's own attention. And so here the format of the retreat is supposed to <coughs> bring these together, you know, so that uh, there can be a understanding can uh, (coughs) arise or land however you view it (coughs) and in terms of the the attention how does it lead to wisdom the Buddha uh, uses the image of the rain falling you might have heard this and it makes it extremely simple after we have to learn to embody this, which is not uh, 
uh, exactly easy, I would say. But he says, you know, in the same way that when the rain falls in the mountain, it will tend to go down and will reach a spring, and the spring will tend naturally to go down and reach a, a river, and naturally the river will go down and naturally will fall into the ocean. In this very natural way, a mind that uh, uh, brings attention, you know, when there is attention, naturally what will uh, uh, follow when there's attention is given to what's happening, uh, naturally there will be curiosity that will arise. And maybe we've experienced this already today. So we are used to having a kind of a superficial, habitual attention, yeah, walking, kind of blasé a bit. And then we say, let's put attention, give a little bit of attention to the stepping. Yeah? And as you do this, maybe not the whole day, but at some point in the day, or attention to the breath, or to the taste, or to sounds, there's a moment when you, the attention is given kind of a, freely in terms of not expecting anything but just given then suddenly curiosity arises oh, what is stepping what happens when you put the what's the experience of putting the feet down is it hard or soft or pleasant or unpleasant boring or interesting there's a little aspect of curiosity that arises so with the attention naturally curiosity will arise with curiosity naturally energy will arise. It's natural because curiosity is an energizing factor in the mind. And so when the mind gets curious, it gets energized. Getting energized in time, it will experience maybe what we could call a mix of curiosity and energy that will become enthusiasm. So it's, an, it's a curious joy. Uh, an energy that is curious, huh? like when we're enthusiastic about something. Ah, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm enthusiastic about this. And so that's what we're developing here. Enthusiasm, in Pali, I use that word because it makes sense to me. It seems like an exact description of uh, the word pa uh, in Pali, it's piti. So it's curious, uh, joyful curiosity is one of the description. And so, when the mind is uh, uh, enthusiastic, connected in this way, that we're this attentive, curious, energized, uh, there's a, something, sometimes it takes the color or the taste, texture of uh, contentment. You know, when I thought, oh, would it work for me, and this and that, and then we just pay attention to the bird singing. Oops. In this collection, uh, gathering, the mind is not scattered anymore. So naturally, when the mind is attentive, will become curious, will be energized, joy, contentment, something like this will arise, something fullness, we could call it maybe. Naturally, the mind will get quiet. Because when we really pay attention, we can't say so, so much, because uh, we're receiving so there's no more chattering. It becomes calm in there. Naturally, the calmness 
will uh, lead to the gatheredness, so a kind of steadiness, a staying, staying. And in this staying, there will be a, a steadiness of non-reactivity, equanimity. And naturally, all these being gathered together, naturally it will lead to insight, clarification about the nature of reality. Et voilà. And so these are the seven factors of awakening. If you want to look them up later, you know. Uh, so what they are, mindfulness leading to, uh, I'll call this curiosity, I'll come back on this one, uh, uh, leading to energy, virya, leading to enthusiasm, piti, leading to uh, um, calm, uh, not some, uh, oh, it escaped. And we'll come back later. Uh, calm, tranquility, leading to uh, concentration, samadhi, uh, leading to equanimity, uh, upekka, leading to insight, seeing clearly things as they are. And the whole week, we'll kind of be exploring what is this, seeing things as they are? What does that mean? You know, and we'll be talking about it, maybe I'll be talking about it, and, and we'll be exploring it, so through the voice of another a bit, and through a lot of our own independent research. What I appreciate a lot about this practice, probably why I stayed, is uh, because of this kind of um, um, this, this uh, approach of independence. In not in the way that we don't depend on each other and you know touch each other in so many ways, but in terms of uh, the way I understand this teaching is there's a teacher who came and said, I'm going to show you a technique where you'll be able to see for yourself what is what. You won't have to believe anybody. You'll be able to see clearly for yourself. Even You won't even have to believe yourself <laughs> or you, the way you've been raised or the way you've been, uh, you know... Um, condition through gender, through, you know, class, through, you'll be able to even see through all this. Uh, how liberating is that, you know? And so that's what we're doing here. We're developing a kind of attention that is unbiased. We're diving under preconceived ideas about stuff, and we're actually going to see for ourselves what is what. It's very delicate work. It can't be done, you know, kind of af, or you know, and and we can't force it either. We have to gather the conditions which we do collectively, and that we do also uh, individually. We gather the conditions for the, this kind of uh, clear seeing to become uh, possible. So what we're doing partly is. Uh, pacifying the mind, stabilizing the mind that is kind of all over the place. I don't know exactly personally what's happening for you. <laughs> I've met enough human beings, watched myself enough to know that human beings tend to be pretty agitated, you know, and, um, and they tend also to uh, um, be believers, <coughs> you know, mainly believing in their own thoughts, you know, and, and kind of um, adherent, I would say. 
I'm using this from the French, maybe, I don't know how it translates in English, but to adhere, you know, like, I adhere to the thoughts of the beliefs of this political party, you know, so I'm a kind of membership, and, you know, and so for us human beings, we have a thought, most of the time, we adhere, <laughs> we believe it, it's true, if I'm thinking it, you know, this is never going to work out, I believe, you know. Ten minutes later, no, I think it will work out. I believe that too. <laughs> Give me a thought, I'm going to follow it. <laughs> and so that's pretty unstable mind, which describes most of us. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> Just me. And so here we gather the attention so it can again get some strength. It doesn't have to follow every thought. It doesn't have to value <coughs> every thought. One teacher, I can't remember which one, had the chance to sit with many, but I remember one one teacher would say that, you know, like, the mouth produces saliva. (laughs) The mind produces thoughts. Do you get excited about all drops of saliva? (laughs) No. Same thing with the thoughts, please. <laughs> you don't have to give value to every thought arising in your mind, you know. There's a way where we can say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the suggestion. <laughs> thank you so much for the, the explanation. Thank you so much for the anticipation, you know. And yeah, have a little uh, kind of playfulness in the mind. can be helpful, you know. Playfulness, sometimes compassion is more required because you know, it presses on the heart or breaks terror the heart, these thoughts <coughs> and perceptions and impressions. You know. So we have to be very, very tender. So, here, in a way, what we're doing is uh, we're practicing living from the five hindrances point of view. And we're operating a kind of a, you know, passing of power. You know, we're overpowered by the the hindrances, which I'll describe in a minute. And we're slowly training or operating a change of power, and we're empowering these qualities of mind that I just described. So we're operating that change of... uh, of, uh, yeah, who runs the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so who runs the show a lot for us um, is, you know, the, the, the wanting something else, the wanting another experience, you know, so the clinging to something that could be, that should be, that uh, should have been, you know, and we have that, uh, and it's natural, of course we would do this, you know, and so we, we have. It's hard for us to attend calmly to things because we want to make sure this happened. We want to make sure that it turns out like this, and we fear it's not going to turn out like this. And and it leads the movements of our mind, of our body, of our speech. Uh, and it's very, um, it's aggravating. It's uh, afflictive. It's uh, stressful. Um, so the wanting something else, the aversion towards what is or could be, 
I don't even want to think about it, you know. I'm already hating it. It's not happened yet. It might never and will never happen. But, you know, even considering the past, you know, I could be sitting here and hating something that could have happened. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, 45 minutes is not going to be enough for me to hate this situation that could really have happened. But actually has no reality and will never have because <laughs> it's a description of some kind of situation that didn't happen in the past. You know. But, you know, the mind doesn't matter, doesn't care, doesn't, you know, it's fine with it. can spend a lot of time <laughs> on things like this, you know, that are totally mind-constructed, totally, but that we get so fascinated by, kind of enamored by. And even me presenting the idea that we could put it down, (laughs) don't you dare touch this. You know, I I like to chew on that bone. (laughs) You know, it's mine. That's the only (laughs) thing I think I'm left with. I'm going to chew on that bone, you know. So I'm, I'm saying this, I hope it's uh, transmitted. You know, I'm saying this with humor, but very lovingly towards who we are and how we get in trouble. That's, that's exactly what human beings do, you know. Uh, and in a way, it makes sense. It's natural that we would do this for many reasons. I mean, we just sit here a day. I don't know how the day's been for you. <laughs> but, you know, just to first insight, you know, discovering how not easy it is to have a body and a heart and a psyche or mind to have senses, constant kind of impingement. You know, you sit here, you would just want to watch your breath. No, ideas come through, you know, trying to pull the blanket. No, follow me. It's not with the breath. It's back home. With the cat. And we're like, oh, it's back home with the cat. Oh, I should have stayed home. You know, we, we believe easily like this. And so sitting here, that's the first insight we get. Ah, not easy being a human being. Emotions come by, you know. Suddenly you get it down for two or three seconds. You know, it's quiet in there. It's lovely in there for a moment. Oops. It's not going to stay. <laughs> you know, and then fear, I'm going to lose it. I got it. I'm going to lose it. Did the other notice I got it? <laughs> no, I can't promote it. <laughs> you know, there's no means of promoting it. Here. And so it's not easy being a human being. So of course we would want to strategize and organize and know what's coming, you know. And, he, and here we're developing these ways to meet reality that are very uh, appeasing, uh, beneficial for ourselves and for others, but we have to find our way to them. You know. And so together we're kind of creating the conditions for these discoveries to emerge, for these qualities to show up in us for a second. And even a second, 
is powerful. Because the mind that for a second, you know, doesn't position itself, like in terms of like preferences or what I want and don't want, the mind that even for a second gives up that and just experience reality as it is, you know, silence or the pain in the knee, just a second of that is also very insightful because there's something that is touched in the heart. Oh, we recognize that is a good way to live. And then, whoops, it slips away and it gets complex again and all this. But at that moment is very powerful because there's a touching something and it'll leave an impression. And here, by creating the conditions for these... Uh, mind states to return uh, they're going to you know appear here and there here and there and as we continue practicing there's going to be a gathering of a momentum and whoops suddenly it'll be not just one second but it'll be for what? a few steps a few breaths a few bites a few moments of laying in the bed you know and then the impression will be a little stronger. Oh, this is a peaceful way to live. Ah, tenderness. Tenderness is, uh, feels better than, you know, refusing, fearing, you know. Allowing. Oh, allowing. It seems passive, but it's actually really creating an inner space that is uh, viable. So our research is very, very um, empirical, uh, um, embodied, experiential. Actually, there's a teacher I have the chance to teach with uh, sometimes, Bani Duran. She's a, she's a American professor of uh, sociology, amongst many things, uh, also uh, mixed race, uh, partly uh, uh, Indian or Native American. I can say what uh, I can't remember what the pel- what words she used. I think she might say Indian. Um, and uh, anyway, very rich uh, being mind. She's fun, also. She has a, she's playful, and uh, as a researcher. In, uh, in sociology, she uh, she says, you know, she say like, ah, I love mindfulness, <laughs> something like this. She, she's very energetic, and and she says, I love it so much. It's, uh, I think, the expression she uses is high quality data collection. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, so you create a system that is very stable. You know, it's not like all over the. Stable, it's not easy, but still, that's where what we tend towards, what we invite, what we value, and not what we demand, but what we tend towards. You know? And uh, when the, m- the, the, the mind has some stability to it, then it can really uh, do high-quality data collection. And the method, in a way, is very easy. You collect the data. You just are there being touched by data phenomena happening in the present time, not making stories out of it, not explaining, (coughs) not analyzing, just being touched, just being touched. Data collection. And the links 
are made by themselves because of the quality of the data collected. This is insight. You don't make insight happen. You just stabilize the mind and feel. Feel the ache. Feel the ease. Feel the arising and the passing of the sound. Feel the arising and the passing of the self that's worth nothing or the self that is grandiose, you know, I. And just stay there. Notice these appearances and disappearances. Just high quality data collection. And at some point, boom, boom, the data shows, the picture is revealed. Oh my God. Everything is impersonal when not so personal, impermanent, it will reveal itself. So that's uh, one way to, to put this. Can I do a parenthesis? So two days ago I went to um, the beautiful, amazingly beautiful museum here in the forest, in the national park. <laughs> and uh, remarkable architecture, uh, remarkable, um, you know, collection. Um, and there is one piece in there, one, um, how do you call it? It's not so much a sculpture as a installation yeah, by Louise Bourgeois. Was a famous uh, artist. Um, she worked a lot with fabrics, and so there at the museum, just a few kilometers from here, there's a piece from her, and I'll describe it from my experience. I, uh, and you have this, uh, so it's kind of in a cage. I think there's a door that is open, but you feel really like encaged. This thing is encaged. And there's a mirror, and it's a it's a it's it's a being, kind of facing a mirror inside a cage. And this being is made; it's a turd, like a piece of shit, you know, like it's made of fabric, but it's a, like a big brown piece of shit <laughs> with legs. <laughs> and it's kind of looking at itself in the mirror, and it's encaged. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, there's a one woman Zen teacher who would talk about our kind of fascination for our, our self, uh, you know, and so how we, many of us, love to hate ourselves. You know? And I was looking at Louise Bourgeois' uh, sculpture and uh, the, ex the, 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 uh, the words of the Zen teacher, this turd, at the center of the universe. That kind of the, it's a fabrication. It doesn't exist, except in the mind, you know, that adheres to it, you know. Loves to watch itself in a mirror, feels encaged. Is actually an artistic production. It doesn't exist. It's mind-made. You know. And we sit with it, debate with it. It's not true. I'm worth something. No, you're worth nothing. No. So we debate with it, which... <laughs> creates more distress, you know, or we adhere to it, we believe it, 
it's true, all the others will succeed except me, or, you know, I'm never going to be loved, or, you know, all these stories, you know. And we go from debating with it, hating that vision, to actually kind of being caught in it, in that trance. And all of it is a creation, a mind creation, like Louis, Louis Bourgeois created that piece. It doesn't exist outside of her creating it. And yet, you know, here's a self caught in its cage, looking at itself in the mirror, stuck there, you know. Well, not stuck there because vipassana. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we can wake up to the production, you know. Oh, it's this self-created thing that I kind of uh, feed, you know, nourish, make sure it exists, not totally willingly, but not knowing how else to do, you know. And so here we'll learn through the walking, the sitting, the paying attention to actually lose the fascination hundreds of times. Yeah, but me in the past and me, what will I be? What was I? Was I perceived like this? Was I really like that? You know? And we say, love can just hearing happen. So we're learning to abandon that fascination for moi and be liberated in the stepping, in the breathing. We're doing uh, neuroplasticity. We're creating new pathways. There was a creation of kind of a Louise Bourgeois turd at the center of the universe pathway. It's been created and, you know, society made sure that it kept, you know, well-grooved, you know, so you know, people could make money out of that, you know, or keep the power going, you know. And so, you know, using gender, oh, you're only female, you know. Using, uh, you know, homophobia, ah, you're gay, so. Using, uh, I don't know, age, using uh, using size, using uh, using anything it can, you know. And we've adhered. But now, Vipassana, (coughs) we're learning (coughs) to actually see through, you know, see the reality. Oh, value is not related to abilities of the body. Value is not related to age, size, features, uh, gender, gender expression, Orient, sexual orientation, uh, class, uh, and all the rest. You know, that's some things we can see through. Value is there's being there. There's healing possible. There's clarity possible. There's compassion possible. There's joy possible. There's the deepest peace possible. And so we're clarifying what is what. It says going against the stream. It's not uh, kind of all the messages, are, or many, many of them are going in one direction. I'm going to prove you that you're not worth anything. You know. 
And here we say, hold on, there is life, there is consciousness, there is sensitivity, there is intelligence, let's put it to use towards liberation, freeing the mind from the way it's been uh, entangled. So that's what's happening here. So, yeah, six, seven days. That <laughs> at least. <laughs> I'll tell you one other way to talk about this. So many ways to talk about this. So, um, last year, not even a year ago, some months ago, I think I was probably not too far from here. I don't know if this is south. I had a that's how I un- my mind makes it anyway. Mirage, perceptions, mind creation. So in my mind, south is right there. <laughs> so maybe a couple of hours south, I'm not even sure, but in the countryside in Belgium, that would that be south? Would that be a couple of hours? <laughs> is this south? That's what we don't know. <laughs> um, so I was... Um, after a retreat with friends, we were driving back from the retreat, and uh, we stopped. Um, we stopped uh, w- in the countryside. We stopped um, by the road, and there was um, horses way, way in the distance, um, and maybe three horses, and they were far away, and they saw us. And uh, we were just kind of there by the fence, you know, but they were really far. And they saw us, and they turned, and they started coming towards us, you know. And it was uh, enthusiasming, <laughs> I would say. It was touching. It was, uh, and they came, they came, they came. And, uh, and they came, and they kept coming, you know. <laughs> and they came, and, and one of them really came so close, so close. So I was there by the fence, and this thing, this alive being came, came, and so this face appeared, and suddenly there was this <laughs> huge <laughs> face there, and these huge eyes, you know, and kind of completely, you know, uh, trusting. I, 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 was, I was deeply touched by the... And there was just like a recognition, like, hey, you're a being too, how amazing is that? You know, and I'm putting words, it was extremely silent. It was actually very s- silencing, if that word can be used in a very positive way, you know. It brought silence, and there was this uh, intimacy and vulnerability, and the horse was just there, and I could feel the maybe the breath, the humidity of, and warmth of the breath and and the the real kind of curiosity connection calm non reactivity you know all the factors present and uh, somehow the sense was so there was an encounter of sensitivity of intelligence of consciousness and um, it felt like 
this being was revealed by this being. This being's attention was revealing for me that this being was existed, was alive. You know, there was sensitivity here because this one could see it and was interested by it. And by being touched by the beauty of this white horse, I could feel I was alive because of the the horse being there. You know, so the horse was um, revealing the experience of being alive. And uh, and after I've reflected many times that this is mindfulness. This is what it is. You know, letting uh, letting things really near. Letting the sound really near. Not buffered, veiled by me wanting something else or, you know, describing or, you know, trying to own in some way or like letting <coughs> go of all the veils that's separate separate from uh, create division from the experiment the experience and allowing the thing to be fully there the step the turning the boredom to be fully instead of ah don't want to be bored or being taught like being awake to you know, the discouragement, the tenderness, the taste, the impatience, want to reach the lettuce, you know, can't, separated from, ah, separated. Let me experience it this fully. <coughs> and so, you know, that's how I see practice, is that everything is the horse. You know, everything can be. The going up the stairs can be a beautiful encounter with reality, with gravity, with the sudden holding of the handle and the discovery of coldness, of metal, is an occasion for presence. And in that, in just touching this now, I'm discovering not just the cold and the hardness and I'm, I'm discovering sensitivity what it is to be sensitive I'm coming out of my ideas that I need to be somebody else somewhere else to fill out something else and I'm just discovering sensitivity this is the portal to compassion to care this is an insight an insight has the quality also of being inferential it means when I understand that there's sensitivity here, I understand that there's always sensitivity. It's always going to be there. It's here, but it's also there. So the barriers fall. Human beings also, they're constantly exposed now to cold or weight, but later to weight in the heart, you know coldness in the heart. Wow. And so in that, I let go of my ideas that, okay, this is not what I want. What I want is this, 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 you know, all the ducks aligned. Oh, I'm encountering this reality. So after telling this story of the horse, someone sent me this card. And uh, this person said, Pascal, 
Here's a small portion of a poem from a poem from Mary Oliver, f- famous uh, um, writer, American poet, and its uh, title of the poem is "A Poet Goes to Indiana," and that's just a little excerpt here, and it says. And there was once, oh, wonderful, a new horse in the pasture, a tall, slim being. A neighbor was keeping it there, and she put her face against my face, put her muzzle, her nostrils, soft as violets, as violet, against my mouth and my nose, and breathed me to see who I was, a long, quiet minute, minutes. Then she stamped feet and whisked tail and danced deliciously into the grass away and came back. She was saying so plainly that I was good or good enough. Such a fine time I had in Indiana. She was saying so plainly that I was good or good enough. So welcome to the local Indiana. Let's sit for a few moments here. Just a little attention given, offered generously to what's there. Could be the hand, 
resting. The body moving with the breath. a little attention offered. to something and then the connection. And honoring of this life happening of the breath, of the hand. see from there what can happen. May we be uh, protected by the quality of our attention. May we be enlightened by the quality of our presence. May we find deep freedom. May we offer freedom and protection to others too. Thank you very much for your, uh, for your listening. And the meal will be served in five to ten minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.